Well, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning on Father's Day and for everybody online. Uh, thanks for joining us. Let's just open up in a, a little word of prayer here before we jump in. Father, we just want to come before you now and wish you a happy Father's Day. Thank you, Lord, that you are our good, good Father. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word, that uh, it would be only your words that we hear this morning, and that I would disappear, and that uh, you would be present among us, and that uh, you would speak into our hearts right now what it is that you want us to hear about you and your love. Lord, that we might come away from this place different than we came, and that your love would be so poured into us to an overflowing amount that we would be uh, just able to be instruments of yours as we go out into this world and share the good news. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So open up your Bibles if you would. There are no notes this morning. I apologize for that. I do and I don't. Uh, but we do have slides for you. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. This is a passage that I read a couple months ago, and it, it really, I probably read it hundreds of times over the years, but it's something that stuck with me, and I've been noodling over it for months. Uh, I had an opportunity to share briefly with it, uh, Victor mentioned the pastors down in Cuba. I shared a little bit with them on this topic. But when Ben asked me if I'd be willing to step in this morning, I, I, I wanted to have an opportunity to dive deeper into it. So this is the result of my noodling and the Holy Spirit's noodling with me on this. So Ephesians chapter 4, um, we're going to talk about the Father in this passage. It is Father's Day, and I wanted to talk about the Father, and, and it's going to help us get a better understanding about his love. Um, normally when we would jump into a new book, at least from the way I do it, I know the way Ben does it, we would spend some time giving some background and introduction about the book. We're not going to do that this morning. Um, but let's suffice it to say that the city of Ephesus was located in Asia Minor. Paul had planted a church there during his travels. Uh, he spent some time there with them. And he wrote this letter to them while he was in prison in Rome. This is one of what are known as the prison epistles, the four letters that he wrote to Ephesus, uh, to Philippi, to Colossae, and to Philemon. EPCP are the good ways to know the, the prison epistles. So this is one of those epistles, of the letters that he wrote while he was there. And I want to dive into verse 14, verses 14 through 21 in chapter 3. Um, and, and if you look at the first few words of verse 14, it says, for this reason. And I, I don't want to jump into those three words without saying a little bit about what that reason was. So above those words, in the first part of chapter 3, Paul talks about his calling as, a, as an apostle. He talks about how he was so amazed in what God did in his life 
in that two things happened. One, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew who knew the word inside and out. And on the road to Damascus, he had an amazing revelation given to him by Jesus. And it was that Jesus was the Son of God, and it was only through him that we might be saved. And Paul was actually on his way to Damascus to rid Damascus of people who were following him. And it was on that point that Paul became one of his most devoted followers. And how ironic it is, or was, that God chose him to be an apostle, not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And this upper portion of chapter 3 is really him kind of surmising that, or summarizing that, where God not only chose to bring the good news to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but also how ironic to use him to do that. And so it is at this point in verse 14 where Paul says, for this reason, because of all that, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So for that reason that we discussed, that God was bringing the good news not only to the Jews but to the Gentiles, Paul was going to bow his knees before the Father and pray for the church at Ephesus. That Greek word, Father, I bow my knees before the Father in Greek is pater, where we get the words paternity and patriarch, paternal. He said, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That same word family is patria. So it's actually a play on words that Paul uses. He uses this a lot in his writings, where the word family in Greek would be translated fatherhood. And Paul is saying that every fatherhood in heaven and on earth gets its origin and name from the Father. God created us. He is God, and we are his creation. And so Paul is setting the context here for who he is praying to. And now this passage starts to get a little deep. So I found it helpful for my understanding to kind of break it up into sections. And so as we go through the slides here, as we reveal the text slowly, as you're looking in the Bible, as we have it up on the slides, we're going to break it up into sections. And what came to me uh, as I was going through this is, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul in a very logical fashion. He, was a very, he had a very legal mind. If you read through his writings, especially books like this and the book of Romans, he does it in such a sequential and logical manner. He's like almost building a legal case, point by point, presenting the inspired thoughts in a sequential and an ordered manner. And for this passage in particular, to help grasp what he is saying, I want to ask the question, why, after each section? And you'll understand in a minute why we're going to do that. Everybody with me? All right. So he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So after reading that phrase, what question do we want to ask of this section? Why? Why does Paul want to bow his knees before the Father? Let's go to verse 16 now. That according to the riches of his glory, 
he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's why. Why is Paul praying for the Ephesians? That according to the riches of God's glory, the enormity of the glory of God, he may grant them to be strengthened. And this word strengthen means to be made strong. It's passive. Somebody is strengthening them. They are not out there at CrossFit working out and building their muscles themselves. It is God who is doing the strengthening. Paul prayed that God would make them strong. And he goes on to say that they would be strengthened with power. That Greek word dunamis, like where we get the word dynamite. Miraculous, supernatural power. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. How does that sound to you? I don't know about you, but I could use some strength and some power in my inner being. I would love for someone to pray that for me every day. And as I think about being strengthened with power in my innermost being, I think back to the book of Acts. If we go back to Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Philip. Acts 8, 4 through 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They had been kicked out of Jerusalem because of persecution. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip was a regular guy. Philip was not an apostle. He was one of the seven who was chosen to wait on tables so that the apostles could focus on the spiritual things. He was a kitchen worker at the church there in Jerusalem. And look what happens when the Holy Spirit kicks the majority of the believers out of Jerusalem. Philip goes up north to Samaria, and he receives that power, that dunamis, from the Holy Spirit in his inner spirit. And he doesn't just receives it, receive it, he uses it. And God starts this amazing work through Philip. His relationship with Jesus wasn't kind of just a part of who, it, who he was. Right? It just wasn't a part of him that got bolted on. It was who he was. It defined him. It exuded out of him. Guys like Philip give me hope. If God can use him, maybe God could use a guy like me too. Maybe I can be strengthened with power in my innermost spirit and God can use me where he plants me. It may not be in some dramatic and public way like that. 
Maybe he can use me to reach out to a friend and he gives me just the right word at a difficult time. Perhaps he can give me the inner strength and the power to make that decision in my life that he has been asking me to make or to talk to that person that I need to be reconciled with. Whatever he is calling me to do, I want that power in my innermost being to do that. So Paul prayed for the Ephesians that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now let's continue on because things are about to get a little crazy. So why does Paul pray for the Ephesians that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being? Here's why. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and we'll pause right there, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. So the Holy Spirit now, through Paul, takes us down two more levels of reasoning in this verse. The first talks to being strengthened with power in our inner spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Each of these verses could be a whole sermon on their own. But at its core, our inner being should be strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ may dwell or settle in. That's what that word means in the Greek. That word dwell is that Christ may settle in and feel at home there. I love that. Orrin Wiersbe said, certainly Christ was already resident in the hearts of most of the Ephesians that would hear Paul's message in this letter. Or else Paul would not have addressed them as saints in Ephesians 1, verse 1. But what Paul was praying for was a deeper experience between Christ and his people. He yearned for Christ to settle down and feel at home in our hearts. Not a surface relationship but an ever-deepening fellowship. The environment in our inner being is one in which Christ could settle in and be in fellowship there because of the level of faith that is present. Jesus talks to this indwelling in the Gospel of John in John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And what? And we will come to him and make our home. King James calls it our abode with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. So there's a supernatural element to all of this. We can only have that kind of faith through the Holy Spirit. That's not something we can will up within our own being. But there's also an element here of how we live out our daily lives, I think. What is the environment of that abode within our hearts? What comes in through our eyes? What comes in through our ears? On what do we spend our time and our energy, and our being for the few years that we are in these earthly bodies. How cool is it that Jesus wants to dwell in our hearts? 
And think about if we oriented ourselves around waking up with that on our minds every single morning. Jesus wants to dwell in my heart today. And as I go through the day, if, that could just, if I could just marinate in that, what would that look like? And how could that change my priorities as I go through my day? And Paul then goes on to build on that indwelling. What happens when Christ settles in and makes his abode with us? He says we are rooted and grounded in love. That word rooted is an agricultural term. Think about it. When you plant a tree, what do you do? You dig that hole and you prepare it. You put some fertilizer in it. You put some water in that hole. You take the root ball around that tree and you kind of loosen it up a little bit so the roots can grow once you put the tree in the hole. You put water in it. You prepare it. Jeremiah spoke of these healthy roots in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 to 8, where he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it doesn't fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's rooted. Paul also used another word. He said rooted and grounded. The grounded word is a construction term. It means to lay the foundation. The same word is used by Jesus when he's telling his parable about building the house upon the rock. And the rains came a-tumbling down. Remember that song? The wise man built his house upon... You didn't know you were going to get singing this morning, did you? Don't tell Ben. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and what happened to that house? It stood firm because it had been grounded. It had been grounded, and the foundation had been laid upon the rock and not upon the sand. So you can bring that slide back up, Chris, on our text. Uh, slide five. Back one. Yep. Back one more. Verse 17. Slide four. So we bring that slide back up and it says, what does it say that we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in? Love. And that word, you know that word in Greek, right? Who knows it? Agape. So it says we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in love. That's the nutrient-rich and firm soil in which we are established. Think about that. One of the most important questions a Christian can ask him or herself is, from what do I draw my nourishment and my stability? From what do I draw my nourishment and my stability every day? If there's no power in the Christian life, or if there is to be power in the Christian life, there must be depth 
The roots must go deeper and deeper into the love of Christ. So we are rooted and grounded in love. Now slide seven, Chris, thanks. So now we go into verse 17. We ask, we're rooted and grounded in love. We ask the question, why? One more time. Why are we going to be rooted and grounded in love so we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Again, we see this word strength showing up. We saw it back in verse 16 where Paul said, strengthen with power. And now we see it here in verse 18 where he says, strength to comprehend. Paul is praying that the Ephesians would have the strength and the ability to supernaturally comprehend what is naturally incomprehensible. To be fully able to comprehend the absolute enormity of God's love. And what does he say in verse 19? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and filled with the fullness of God. And the way the Holy Spirit through Paul chooses to illustrate that point, how that love can be comprehended is by communicating something that actually has dimensions. He communicates God's love, God's love that actually has depth and height and breadth and length. And this is something that I have prayed a lot about lately, just to be transparent. That God would help me grow in this area. I understand to an extent that God loves me. There are tons of verses in the Bible that talk to that. And what springs to my mind is you think about David in the Psalms. He really seems to bask in that love, in the love of God, and it just pours out of him. But sometimes I think it's difficult to grasp it and feel it and live our lives out in such a way that we are consistently conscious of God's deep and abiding love. At least it is with me. I was at work this week. And I asked someone, I heard, overheard someone ask the, someone else, how's it going? And their response was, I've got a lot on me. I've got a lot on me. Life is hard. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. Wars and the economy, the price of gas, politics. And the Red Sox are behind the Yankees 13 and a half games, and it's only June. <laughs> Praying for you people. But you may have come here this morning feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But let's look again at what the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us. He's saying, you, us, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
if we have come to know Christ as Savior, then we have been rooted and grounded in love. If we have come to know Christ as Savior, then we have been rooted and grounded in love. And if we have experienced Christ as Savior, then Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, right? And if you have Jesus, then he has transformed you from death to life, and he has granted you strength with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So Paul's prayer here illustrates the love of Christ as being something so powerful and substantial that it actually has breadth and length and height and depth. It surpasses knowledge that it actually takes a supernatural ability to know it. But it can be known, and it can fill us to overwhelming amounts and to overflowing amounts if only we allow it to. There's a key point there. You say that again. It surpasses knowledge but it can be known. And it can fill us to overflowing if we only allow it to. Evidence of the vastness of life, the love of Christ, is everywhere we look. Look around the room here now. It's a room full of miracles. Every one of us who is in Christ is a living, walking miracle look outside as you walk outside of this building at the beauty of his work you ever have an opportunity tonight to look up into the sky at the vastness of the heavens you ever have an opportunity to look even through a microscope or a magnifying glass at the amazing complexity of his creation I am coming to understand slowly that everywhere we go with him and through everywhere, everyone we meet in him and everything that he allows to come into our lives, we can experience the love of Christ. If we allow it. If we are believers, positionally we are complete in him. We need nothing else. It's Jesus plus nothing plus nothing. The work is finished, as Jesus said. But practically, right? Practically, we enjoy only the grace that we apprehend by faith. Practically, we enjoy the grace that only we apprehend by faith. The resources are there. All we need to do is accept them and enjoy them. I think it just requires taking our eyes off of ourselves and taking our eyes off of our phones, talking to myself, and taking our eyes off of our circumstances and living in a constant state of surrender, allowing the vastness of the love of Christ to wash over the busyness of our lives taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting them on him. 
And so as we draw to a close, my dad passed away 20 years ago. Today's Father's Day, and I'm not going to say it wasn't going to tear up, but I'm going <clears> to. <throat> I miss it very much, especially on this day. He was not a man who showed emotion like this. He was a career military man, and he could outwork me even into his 70s. He, could have, he was a man that could fix just about anything. And he had a garage and a basement full of tools and every nail and screw that he found in his life. He was raised during the Depression, and we would go on a walk or even a drive, and he would pull over if he found any piece of hardware or fastener and saved it for all of his life. The odd thing is I don't ever remember him telling me that he loved me. But I know that I was loved. And I remember he put that everything of himself <clears throat> into everything that he did. And I have few, very, very few physical things that, that had belonged to him that are in my possession now. But I do have this. Who knows what this is? If you can see it. It's a center punch. This was my dad's. And this is used every time you're hammering a finished nail, like into a piece of molding or uh, into some trim, you would use the center punch to drive that nail into the last little bit so you didn't leave a mark on that molding or center punch for finished work when you're doing carpentry. My dad was excellent at that. And it's a reminder to me. I still think of it every... I still think of his love every time I drive a nail in. Jesus had clearly spoken to us in his word over and over again about how much... He loves us. And we have a reminder of that love and the depth of that love. Who knows what these are? He allowed these to be driven in through his hands and his feet as he willing him, willingly gave himself up to be crucified as the perfect Lamb of God on the cross. And if I ever find myself struggling to comprehend the love of God, I can think about what he did for me so I can be in his presence for all of eternity. So I can understand the breadth and the depth and the height and the length of his love. So if you'd all stand with me now for the benediction, I'm going to read the, the last two verses of this passage. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power 
at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed. Happy Father's Day. God bless you.